It's a big step to go from research to actual institutional change. Welcome to Solar Spotlight, Conversations on Learning Analytics. This podcast series is produced by the Society for Learning Analytics Research to engage the wider community with leading practice, research, and key issues about learning analytics. My name is Yishan Tan, your host of this podcast. discussing today is scaling up institutional readiness for learning analytics. We have a great pleasure to have two special guests today to share their experience in preparing higher education institutions to adopt learning analytics. The first guest is Timur Delat from KU Leuven in Belgium. The second guest is Julio Guerra-Holsten from the Universidad Austral de Chile in Chile. I'll let our guests tell you more about themselves. Uh, hi, I'm Tina. I'm an associate professor at the Faculty of Engineering Science of the KU Leuven in Belgium. I'm also the head of the Tutorial Services of Engineering Science, and that's a service supporting engineering students in their first year at the university. Yeah, I'm Julio. Um, I'm an auxiliary professor at the University of Stratatin and the Instituto de Informatica, the Informatic Institute. So I, I teach there a couple of courses and I also do research. Um, related with learning analytics, open learning models, and other educational data mining. Great. Can I ask you both to briefly describe the key activities of learning analytics that are currently going on in your institution? Our university has, in fact, uh, plenty of initiatives, especially if you consider the research-based learning analytics initiatives. Uh, for instance, I mainly collaborate uh, with the research team of human-computer interaction uh, of Professor Katrien Verbert. But if you look at the initiatives that are actually embedded in university practices, there are fewer. Um, I could mention the tools that are developed by our central IT department, and they are mainly supporting the virtual learning environment. They have, for instance, a new tool that shows the students what are the hot topics now, so the topics that other students are doing. And they also have a new way on how students can add text to the material provided by the professors, so they can be supportive texts, or they can be text saying, I don't like this material, it's boring. And it's a way to provide insights to other students, but also to the professors. And then, of course, I have to mention the learning analytics dashboards that we have developing within our European projects. Um, we have, for instance, the LASI dashboard. It's a feedback dashboard on learning skills. And the REX dashboard, that's a feedback on academic engagement. And then we have the LISA dashboard, which is a more special type of dashboard because it supports the interaction between a student advisor and a student. And then now I am also collaborating in the LALA project. And in this LALA project, we try to bring our experiences from these dashboards to our uh, Latin American colleagues. For our audience, LALA project stands for building capacity to use learning analytics to improve higher education in Latin America. Thanks, Tina. Julio, could you also tell us a bit about the current adoption of learning analytics at Universidad Oshot de Chile? In our case, uh, there, there have been some initiatives that have been isolated, mostly by some teachers that want to do something else in their classrooms, uh, in their courses. Um, 
And but now we are working hard in in the Lada project with the support of the of the European Parliament to try to to push a little bit forward the the initiatives and to have a to have a learning analytic tools that can be used broadly in the university and produce some measurable impacts. Could you also share with us the strategic steps that your institution has taken to get themselves ready to adopt the learning analytics? I think I would like to share here an experience we had from these learning dashboards we developed within the two European projects. We really use their bottom-up approach. So we have been using an approach where we involve different stakeholders, so both the researchers in education that are aware of what you need to be successful in university, also researchers in human-computer interaction and visualizations. But the most important partners were the uh, stakeholders that are the end users. So we had, for instance, a student advisor that we heavily involved in the conversations, and we really involved them in making a participatory design of the dashboards. And with this bottom approach, we in fact um, had a quick adoption of other student advisors and other programs. So after the first short pilot with our dashboards in our own programs, we have been extending the pilot to 26 programs within our institutes, and we have been reaching more than 100 student advisors and more than 4,000 students. So I think it was quite impressive. People were very happy, they were very supportive, but then we had a big struggle. Mm. Because we tried to continue these dashboards at university level. Because that's the thing with projects, their funding ends, and then you have these nice dashboards, so then what we will do with them? So we tried to talk to the university management such that they can include these dashboards within their normal processes and their normal operations. And this was harder than what we ex ex uh, expected. And I think it's because of a failure that we did not invest enough during the project on the high level. So we should also have been following a top-down approach where we really involve the university leaders and the university managers and prepare them to take ownership also of the project. So now, one year after these projects have ended, now our university is accepted and they will be uh, scaling up these dashboards for the entire institute. But you see, there was one year of a gap between the end of our projects, where we had this nice bottom-up dashboard supported by many programs, and the university taking up the ownership for their normal processes. So if I could advise anyone something, is that you don't only have to invest in a bottom-up approach, but early enough in the project, in a top-down approach, where we really involve university leaders and university managers. Can I just clarify, did you just say that the top-down approach should come before the bottom-up or, or did you say that both should happen at the same time? I think you should have them quite simultaneously. So I think you can start bottom-up, seeing what the needs are of, of people and start developing something together. But in the meanwhile, you should also address the needs of university managers and make them aware of what you're doing at the bottom and seeing what they need at the top. And if they can already understand what you're doing and maybe take ownership, help you direct to the uh, approaches that would help you to land these things within the university systems. So I think it's not like the one goes first and the other one goes after. I really think it's important they should inform each other. Yeah, I agree. The top-down and the bottom-up approach, are, are both of them are really needed. And one of the things I think has been a key in this almost two years of the project is that 
we have to talk with all the stakeholders. So push forward a diagnosis, where we are, where we want to, what we want to do, what is the institutional needs from the director, but also also from the students and teachers and all the managers in between. Uh, but one of the things that we discover is that the learning analytics and that is already installed there. So when we start talking with them early on about learning analytics, it was very clear that everybody opened their eyes and said, yeah, we need this. And it's because we have a lot of external pressures like accreditation and the, the, the Ministry of Education inside and the same universities pushing uh, the data to be taken into account to improve the processes. So learning analytics idea is in the core of that. But still, how to implement them effectively is an open question. And then the LALA project uh, came out with this idea of a, of a framework that pushes us to do a diagnosis and talk with all of them. And what we discover in that process is that one of the key things is trying to talk with all of them in the same moment. Because you will expect to get some something from the directors or something from the managers or something from the teachers. And actually, sometimes the teacher has a lot of things to do about the direction. The IT people has a lot of things to say about privacy, data protection. People start dialoguing. So that, I think, has been a very important strategy. I agree. You have these different stakeholders and they're all, they all bring their own perspectives. And by having these different perspectives, you more easily handle all the different dimensions that are involved in learning analytics. And there are so many aspects touching upon learning analytics. So bringing these stakeholders, it makes you more certain that you will touch upon all of them. Yeah, I, I personally can't agree with you both more about this people approach to adopting learning analytics in, in an institution. I was wondering if you both could share with us about these practical steps that you take to initiate this top-down and bottom-up approach. So, for example, what kind of things you, you did to be able to bring different groups of stakeholders together or even just to separate but being able to integrate their opinions and their voice? From my point of view, I have quite a special role inside the Institute because I'm also the head of the tutorial services. So I have direct access to the student advisors and to the students. So it's very easy to bring to the table these people. These are the people working in my service. I know what their concerns are and they're very happy to be involved. And I also have this research side. So also the research is easy to bring in. So we immediately had, I think, a good bottom-up discussion. So what's usually harder is that you also have to bring in the top-down approach and getting in touch with these university leaders and university managers is sometimes more difficult. But we have been involved with the vice rector inviting us for a conversation to show what we have been doing. And in fact, they were very enthusiastic. But then drama, of course, happened because we have been investing in this personal relationship, getting them to know what we were doing, and then they were not re-elected. And then, of course, this rector team disappears and a new rector team is installed and all your investments are gone. So at that time, it was really a shock. On the other hand, you have this new team, and this new team is immediately making new uh, policies. They're trying to have a new vision for the university, and they immediately picked up the idea of learning analytics. So at that time, learning analytics, educational technology, they appeared in the policy plan of the university, and the dashboards were even in the top nine of short-term priorities of the university. So suddenly, first, we were very anxious because the rector team disappeared, 
And then half a year later, when they came with their policy plans, suddenly we were like at the top priorities. So we were very happy. And I think the good thing what have happened now is I really have installed a sustainable procedure to support learning analytics initiatives. So they came up with seed projects and they attached some finances to that, where you can apply for, for new ideas in educational technology. So also involving learning analytics. So now anyone can apply two times a year for such a project. And then I have, they have another procedure with scale-up projects that fetches the best ideas from these seeds that are promising to scale up at university level. And they can, by that, they can have new ideas. They can immediately catch these new ideas and scale them up fast. So I think this new approach is very promising for our university. It sounds like what we need is an, an actor who is like you, basically, who has a very good link with students, with teachers, and with the managers as well. I don't know, Julio, do you have someone like Tina in your institution to initiate this kind of conversation across the university? Uh, actually, yes. The head of the undergraduate studies is from our department. And, that, and he's also a, a guy from the technology part, so he's very sensitive to the, to the idea of incorporating technology. If, if at that time the, the director will be from another faculty, maybe we will not have the impact that we have. So he has been very supportive. So you both have mentioned that the, um, the adoption of learning analytics in your institution have been uh, about um, a year or so, at least so far. Um, I was wondering if if you have encountered any challenges during this journey and what have you done to address these challenges as an institution? I think one of the biggest challenges that we meet is that most of the learning analytics initiatives, they stay at the research level. And it's a big step to go from research to actual institutional change. And researchers are not experts on how to have institutional change. So if you can only uh, try to focus on the typical research outputs, like we want to have a paper, we want to maybe have a demo, we want to show, go to the conferences and show our research, that will not automatically bring you to institutional change. So really you have to in invest a lot of time, a lot of effort in getting also towards this institutional change. And I think researchers should not be made responsible for this. You should try to collaborate with other partners that can really enforce and support this institutional change. I think we have encountered different problems technically and also at the level of policies and at the level of the expectation, maybe. So, for example, if you talk with teachers, they all want to see or being able to do things with learning analytic tools um, while the data is not there yet. So one of the things that we try to do is let's, let's focus the attention and the efforts in initiatives that can use the data that we already have. But then we encounter also that we have the data, that data is there, but we start when we start using that data, we realize that and some, at, at some point, there are some, some part of the data is a mess. So there is a lot of assumption that you do that actually don't, doesn't occur don't occur in the way that you expected. Another thing is that privacy concerns, the data protection concern, is something that is, is coming to the table in Latin America. 
it might seem that it's more easy to make studies, to get the data, to use the data. But there is a growing sensibility, but on the other hand, we don't have clear policies yet. So you will start asking, what should we do to start using this data? And the answers sometimes are very blurry. And it needs a lot of time until you actually get a a clear response of what to do and how to tackle this kind of issues. I want to add to one of the challenges addressed by Julio, because he was saying these data, and then you have the data, so it looks very promising. And there are also very high expectations for learning analytics, which I think are often inflated. For instance, we have been looking to the data of our virtual learning environment, and then we didn't find any relationship between student success and activity on the virtual learning environment. So this data is not very useful immediately to do something about learning analytics, because the only thing that it exposed that our students are not using the virtual learning environment as a learning environment. And why are they not using the virtual learning environment as a learning environment? Because the teacher are not building it as a learning environment. So in fact, by doing this learning analytics, you can expose some of the weaknesses of your uh, education or of the processes of the university. And I think that's also something you should be aware of. And I think this is one of the good things of learning analytics and the research and the practices that we are doing. But then we should also be not be scared to discover these mistakes, but be ready to tackle them or to take alternative approaches then. Yeah, I agree. What do you think is the role of institutions in enhancing educational practices with technological innovations? This is where the strategic decisions of universities come in. So they have a policy like ours now that really puts forward educational technology. It means they will be investing money to that. And then they will contribute, they will attribute money to these processes. And now we have these seed projects and the scale-up projects. So this is the first time I'm confident that the educational technology developments will actually influence educational practices. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much for this interesting conversation. Three things came up from listening to to your experience of adopting learning analytics. The first one is that, um, so in terms of scaling up institutional readiness, from what I heard is that we need to have research to support these initiatives. We need to have policy to to push research into the operational level and perhaps uh, if I may put it in a different way, strategy to, to scale it up. And we also need very good communication among different uh, groups of stakeholders, particularly to address some of the challenges with data or resources or false expectations or, or incomplete <laughs> understanding of what you might actually see from um, learning analytics. Um, so that's been very interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Right. So at the end of our podcast, we would like to invite our special guests to play a fun game called Two Truths and a Lie. Those who have listened to our last podcast would know what is coming up. Tina and Julia will share with us three facts about themselves, and one of them would be a lie that we should find out. In our last podcast, we played this game with the current president of SOA, Eduardo Pardo. Here's his answer for those who have tweeted all thought about tweeting their guests. The three statements were that I'm an avid collector of hats, that I play the bagpipe on the street for money, and I was a member of the School of IT rock band in college in Barcelona. 
So the one that is not true, I never play in the rock band in <gasps> Barcelona. Now here we go with the two truths and a lie with Tina and Julio. Okay, let's go for fact number one. I'm an amateur rugby player and I'm a fly half of the team of female amateur players of the rugby club in Leuven. Fact number two. I'm a bikeaholic. I have five bikes of, for different purposes. Fact number three. I'm the only female professor working at the faculty level of the Faculty of Engineering Science. Okay. That's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so, should I say my facts now? Yeah, go ahead, please. So, my, um, about myself, let's see. Fact number one is um, uh, I like running and I'm preparing for a 21 kilometers marathon for the next summer in Chile. Fact number two is um, I have a trauma on eating melted cheese. I'm, I'm eating cheese. Melted cheese. Melted cheese. Okay. Fact number three is I, I, I have been playing guitar in rock and blues band for years. Mm. That's very interesting. <laughs> so now we should know what the lie is among these. Yeah. I'm gonna guess that um, Fortuna, you're quite tall, so I believe you, you play rugby. <laughs> I'm a tough one too. So. <laughs> I am gonna I'm gonna pick the bike one. I think having five bikes is a bit crazy. Luba <laughs> is so small, why do you need that many bikes? I have seen a lot of female professors here, I think that's the <laughs> <laughs> Okay, how about Julio's statements? Yeah, I think Julio, he could look really like a guitar rock player kind of type. I agree. Yeah, so I think that would be true. But then for the cheese, I don't know. He looks like someone that will be really enjoying also all kinds of food. So I would guess the cheese is a lie. I probably would too. Who could be traumatized by melted cheese? How do you get traumatized by melted cheese? <laughs> I want to hear that story if that's true. <laughs> yeah, okay, perfect. Well, our audience, if you're curious about the answer, please do tweet your guests using hashtag SoloSpotlight. At Solas Research. Thanks for listening to Solas Spotlight again. My name is Ishan Tsai, and I've been talking to Tina Delot and Julio Guerra Holstein today on the topic of scaling institutional readiness. If you would like to continue the conversation, please tweet us at Solar Research using the hashtag Solar Spotlight. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast, Solar Spotlight. You can find all the available episodes at SoundCloud directly or popular podcast apps. Finally, I would like to advertise the Cobalt paper for the next International Learning Analytics and Knowledge Conference in Frankfurt, Germany on 23rd to 27th March next year. SOLA offers scholarships for doctoral students and individuals from underrepresented regions of the world to attend the conference. More details can be found on the conference website at lock20.solarresearch.org. Please join us for our next episode in November. <laughs>